Hey, welcome. So glad you're joining us this weekend. I'm Dan, one of the pastors here at the Norton Campus Grace Church of Greater Akron. And uh, if you don't have a church home, we'd love for you to come hang out with us. We meet 8 o'clock, 9 30, 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and then 5 30 Sunday nights. It's the same service at 5 30 that we have in the morning. So if you work first shift or whatever, we have that available to you. Love for you to come. We have a discovery, which is people who want to find out more about Grace uh, next weekend. Uh, that's uh, offered and it's right after our 11 o'clock service. If you're interested in that, you can email, call, let us know that. We'd love to plug you into that. So glad you're joining us here. First full weekend of the brand new year. It's fascinating, right? And I was thinking about 2024 and I read some articles of things that we had to look forward to. 2024 is a leap year. Congratulations, all you leap year babies, right? Uh, in 2024, NASA plans on sending back astronauts to the moon. First time in quite a while. The first black astronaut, first woman astronaut, walk on the moon. That's going to be pretty exciting. Uh, total eclipse we can expect this year. The Olympics in Paris 2024, right? That's pretty cool. Uh, Facebook turns 20. Happy birthday, Facebook. Amazon turns 30. Uh, thank you, Amazon, for delivering our Christmas gifts this year. And uh, then we have presidential election, right, this year that uh, we're looking for. A lot to look forward to. Uh, for some of you, you started your year out with uh, New Year's resolutions, and uh, maybe that was you. I wonder how that's going so far. Uh, I read a statistic that said this, that less than half of the people actually do New Year's resolutions. Maybe that's you. You're like, I don't do that. But some of you that do, over half of you that do New Year's resolutions decide that the thing you're going to resolve to do in the new year is go to church more. That's cool. Love for you to come be a part of Grace Church if that's you. Uh, but a majority of people would say, I resolve to pray more. That's why the next couple of weeks, uh, myself along with Pastor Ethan, want to take you through this conversation on prayer. Uh, and you're like, well, I expect that, right? He's a preacher. And this is what they talk about church. They talk about praying. And so he's probably going to tell us to pray more, pray better, pray longer. And hey, listen, I think all those things are awesome. I think those things are great. You got to pray more. And yeah, we can always pray better, right? And I don't know, longer, eh, long prayers, short prayers. I think God wants us to pray. But that's not what I want to talk to you about to start this year. Actually, what I want to talk to you about is this. I want to talk to you about praying and prayer, but I want to say, what if we pray different? I want to challenge you, encourage you, invite you to pray different. I want to go a step further than that. I want to say, what if we pray dangerously? The reason I want to challenge us is because if we're honest, and you can just, if we're honest, most of us spend the bulk of our time praying safe prayers. God, protect me. God, give me a safe journey. Put a hedge of protection around me, right? Uh, bless this food. Uh, God, I pray that you'd give me an A on this test I didn't study for, whatever. It's like very safe prayers. And yet what I want to challenge us to this new year is what if we prayed some different prayers, even might I say dangerous prayers, now, for some of you, right away, you're, you're like, I don't know, man. I mean, one reason you're like, I don't know, is because you don't like change. You're like, the different part has you. But for some of you, you have an aversion to dangerous. You're like, I like safe and comfortable. Like that, I'm, I'm drawn to that, this dangerous part. It makes me think of my daughter. Her name is Rachel. 
We were taking her to an amusement park. I think it was Kings Island down in southern Ohio. And uh, she was at the age where merry-go-rounds. And, uh, and we would ride the merry That's what she felt comfortable with. And like, let's go to the merry-go-rounds. Like, if you've ever ridden one of those things, it is the definition of insanity. Uh, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. My horse never made it anywhere. We just went in circles, right? And uh, so she was at that age, and I'm like, sweetheart, what if we went from the merry-go-round, which you love and are safe with and comfortable and have done for years, and went to that huge roller coaster over there that people are lined up to ride? She's like, no way. I like my merry-go-round, and I'm riding a thing. And I'm like, oh, wow. Finally, I was able to talk her into jumping on that roller coaster with me. She got in. We buckled our seatbelt, and she's like, get me off. I'm like, it's too late. <laughs> It's too late. We got to go. And we took off, man, up the hills, down the hills, stomach drop, heart starts palpitating. I mean, it was quite a fascinating experience that we had together. And she the whole time's yelling, Daddy, get me off, Daddy. What? She's grabbing my arm, all that kind of stuff, just screaming in my ear. I can't believe you talked me into this. I don't, I want to get off, all that kind of stuff. And then we stopped at the end. And she said this. She said, That was awesome. Can we do that again? And she is a daredevil to this day, man. She went skydiving on her honeymoon, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, there, there's something about dangerous, not just for the sake of dangerous, that leads us to the exhilarating. And so what I want to challenge us to, what Pastor Ethan was, is what if we got off the merry-go-round? Some of us, that's where we're at in our prayer life, our relationship with Jesus. It's a definition of insanity. We do the same thing over and over again, and it's expect different results. And what if we jumped off the merry-go-round and we jumped in the seat, raised our hands up, got ready for our stomachs to drop and screamed and actually dared pray some different, even might I say dangerous prayers? What if we stepped out of the boat of comfortable onto the waters of uncomfortable? And what if it's there that we actually are able to meet Jesus? For some of you, this is going to mean praying different prayers that you have never prayed before. For others of you, quite honestly, it's going to be examining the prayers that you've prayed routinely and maybe haven't thought that much about and seeing that they're actually dangerous prayers when you really look at them. Today, can I just for a few minutes draw our attention to the first of those prayers that's written by an ancient poet who was a shepherd boy who later became king of Israel. Uh, you know him as David. Now, in the particular psalm if you have your bibles you might open there that i want to look at uh, he is uh, facing opposition people are questioning his motives and his reaction is not vindictive it's not defensive and it's not even combative but his response was to pray and in this prayer here's what we're going to find give you the punchline we're going to find a very dangerous invitation we're going to find a humble recognition and a life-giving decision that prayer is found in the book of Psalm, chapter 139. Here's what it says. Why don't you read it out loud with me? Unless you're in the coffee shop and be embarrassed or something like that. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is an offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Search me. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts see if there's an offensive way in me. This is a prayer. David's praying. And lead me in the way everlasting. I'm going to challenge us to pray this prayer, to jump into the seat 
hold our hands high, let our stomachs drop, listen to our hearts pound as we ride the roller coaster of this dangerous, but I'm going to hopefully show us exhilarating prayer. This prayer begins, if you're taking notes, with a dangerous invitation. Basically, what David is saying is, God, explain me to me. Go back and it says this, search me, test me, see if there's an offensive way in me. What he's saying is, God, explain me to me. Uh, sometimes I, I need that, right? Uh, how many of you just kind of raise your hand? I can see you out there. Uh, you're into personality tests. Like there's a gazillion of them, right? The Enneagram, the DISC, Taylor Johnson, the Myers-Briggs, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so We take personality tests so that other people can understand us. I remember before my wife and I got married, our pre-marriage counselor gave us this personality test. We had to take the test and answer the questions for us. And then he made us take the test and answer the questions for the other person. And then we got together and almost like a lamb led to slaughter, I went to the next premarital counseling and he read our results. And it led to one of the biggest fights my wife and I had during our engagement because apparently the way I answered the questions for her he said, said that I thought she was high strung. And I remember sitting there, I didn't see it coming. He said, hey, uh, Jennifer, Dan thinks you're high strung. And she says, well, I'm not high strung. I can't believe you. (laughs) It was crazy, right? Uh, There are some personality tests that help us understand each other, but there's others that help us understand us. I just took one work-related. It's called, uh, it's called, uh, I think it's called uh, Genius maker or something like that, but we all have these geniuses and it shows how we work. And I just need to tell you something, it explained me to me. Like it helped me understand why I work the way I do and why I think the way I do. There's a sense into which the prayer that what David is praying is saying, God, would you explain me to me? A dangerous prayer. Here's why. Here's what you know and I know. Let's just kind of be honest. Can we get everything out on the table? Here's what you know and I know. There's a the part of me, there's a part of me you see depending on how well you know me, you might just watch me this way. There's a part of, you, 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 that, of me that you see, but, but there, there is so much about me you don't see. You only know what I show you. We become experts in showing each other only what we want each other to see. Uh, we cover up our flaws. We become really good at that. Uh, we dress up our insecurities, we find ways to excuse our shortcomings, and we become really good, hang on, at faking each other out. We all do. You do, I do, we become great at it. You see what I want you to see. But the deeper truth in this prayer is this, is there's much of me, stay with me, there's much of me that I don't see. There's so much that I haven't discerned about me, so much I have deceived myself about. I fake me out, I think is the point. That's what makes this a dangerous invitation. God, explain me to me. Uh, Here's what he says. Search me, God, know my heart. What's he saying? If you're taking notes, he said, show me why I do what I do. This part of the prayer is, is, is... saying, God, expose, reveal, show me the motives of my heart. Show me why I do what I do. Uh, This is where we can get stuck in some, what I call common street theology. Uh, Theology a lot of people have, and it ends up being bad theology. 
it goes like this. A lot of us like, oh, you know, they were really a good-hearted person. Or, you know, I'm a good-hearted person at my core. Now, most people would say they're a good person. Most people would say they have a good heart. Now, we want others to believe that we have a good heart. We want others to believe that we're good people. And yet, God says something interesting. This, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here. He says, the human heart, do you see this? The human heart, whose heart? Our, if you're human, our heart is the most deceitful of all things. We fake ourselves out. We deceive ourselves. We lie to ourselves. It's desperately wicked. So much for the good hearted, right? Who really knows how bad it is? You see, God seems to be saying underneath this guise of goodness is a bit of deception. And this prayer that David is praying, it's dangerous because it's saying, God, strip away the disguise, the things I put out here, and I want you to look at what really is underneath it. I want you to show me why I do what I do. Uh, the Hebrew word, he says, search me, know my heart. The Hebrew word for heart, it refers to the inner man, the ambitions, the passions, the drives, the, the motives. Uh, there's another passage. Can I show it to you really quickly? It says, above all else, guard your, there's our word, heart. For everything you do flows from it. It seems very important. Here's what David is saying. I'm asking God to show me what I cannot see or maybe I'm unwilling to see on my own. I remember taking my father, he had this misery in his rib area and he went to the doctor and she gave him some ointment and she gave him pain pills and over and over again. It just kept on and on. And this is after I'd moved here and he lived in Indiana. I was back for a visit and I said, let's go to the doctor and I went to the doctor. And he said, I still got this misery right here in my, in my rib. And the doctor says, John, we've tried everything and I don't know what else to do. And uh, she said this, she said, the, the only thing left that I really don't think is necessary is to send you for a PET scan. And, and my dad didn't want to do that. And, well, that was going to cost money and that was going to take time. And it's just like, I just got this misery and she didn't want to do it because it seemed like an overkill for the situation. And I was sitting in a chair and I'm like, let's do it. My dad kind of looked at me like, it's not, not your money, kid, you know? I'm like, let's do it, Dad. Like, we, what is going on here? There's something wrong. And, and I'll never forget that she ordered it. My dad conceded, you know, consented to it. And uh, they, they did a PET scan. And they found that my dad had stage four cancer all through his body. It was something he couldn't see. It was something at that time she was unwilling to look at. She wasn't a bad doctor. It was just she, she's like it seemed like overkill. You see, I think this is me saying, God, would you do a holy PET scan? There's things I can't see. There's things I'm unwilling to see. That underneath, many times, my religious motions, there can be some really rotten motives. Do you know that? I think what he's saying is, God, would you do this holy PET scan? Because underneath of my spiritual activities. There can be some really selfish ambitions that underneath of my benevolent actions, there can be some, some pride-filled attitudes. I think what he's saying is, God, would you look underneath, like underneath, because underneath of my zealous endeavors, like I'm zealous politically, I'm zealous religiously, I'm zealous socially, I'm zealous, you fill in the blanks. 
Underneath that zeal, it's like, man, they're really zealous, can be some misguided incentives. Do you see that? Uh, Jesus did. Remember, he talked to the religious leaders, says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of the religious law, you Pharisees? They, on the outside, looking good. For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. This prayer is saying, God, I'm inviting you to open up to investigate this beautifully decorated outside of my life, the activity, the devotion, the zeal, all the religious motion, and to look at what's inside and tell me what you find. Why am I doing it? Now, the prayer goes on. It's a dangerous invitation. He says, search me. Show me why I do what I do. And he says, test me. Now, that word is examine me. Uh, no, look at, tear apart, and know my anxious thoughts. Uh, here's what he's praying. It's a dangerous prayer. He says, reveal to me what I'm really afraid of. That, that's the prayer. Show me why I do what I do. But now he's saying, reveal to me what I'm really afraid of. It's a dangerous invitation for God to reveal to us our fears and securities, anxieties. Let, let's just, can, can we get something on the table? Can we just do this? Uh, let, let, let's just get something on the table. All of us have fears, anxieties, and insecurities. In fact, if you're watching this with somebody, uh, turn to them and say this, uh, you're afraid of something. And then say it back to each other. Like, and if you refuse to, then you're afraid of being afraid. You see, there are things that you and I are afraid of. There are things we're insecure about. There are things we worry about. It's the things that leave us unsettled, that keep us up at night, that, that put the knot in our stomach, that make us angry, that consumes our thoughts. Like, like you have those things. And those fears and those anxieties and those worries, here's what I want you to know, they all have roots. And I think the prayer is, I want to follow the things that keep me up at night. I want to follow the things that create the knot in my stomach. I want to chase my anxieties in prayer because when I do that, they're going to lead me to the root of my fears. And God, I'm asking you, show me what's underneath of that so I know what I'm really afraid of. Uh, let me help you with that. Like I need to ask myself in prayer, what is it that I'm afraid of losing? What are you afraid of losing? Like, like honestly, what are you afraid of losing? Uh, for some of you, it's like, I'm afraid of losing my position at work. Like I have this important position, I've gotten promotions and I've, I've been promoted and I, I, all of a sudden now I'm the CEO, I'm the boss, I'm the one in charge and you're afraid of losing that. And when you chase it, God, reveal my anxious thoughts. That's why you work hard. That's why you're never home. You're afraid of losing it because you're afraid that if you lose your position, actually it's deeper than that. You won't know who you are. You're afraid you're going to disappoint the people who are so proud of you. Your mom and dad tell everybody, he's the CEO of this company. And like, you see how that works? I'm going to chase my fears. For some of you, what are you afraid of losing? You're afraid of losing control of a particular situation. Like, I'm afraid of losing control. That's why you over control, oversteer. You're so anxiety ridden and you're so anxiety ridden as you're controlling everybody's life around you. But when you pray this prayer, you pray it this way. You're like, God, test me. Show me. Show me 
what it is that I'm really afraid of. And what I'm really afraid of is not, I'm not afraid simply of losing control, but I'm afraid that the God who is in control may not do it the way that I think it ought to be done. I'm afraid that he might not agree with me. And if I'm honest, I'm afraid sometimes I think I might know better. See how that works? For some of us, we're afraid of losing the argument. Like some of you are so afraid of losing the argument. Because if you lose the argument, you're afraid somehow you're going to be seen as wrong. And somehow what you're afraid of is people are going to look down on you and they're not going to have any respect for you. I don't know what it is. What are you afraid of losing? Whatever you're afraid of losing, if you chase that fear, it might show you what you're actually worshiping. Because what you worship is what you think, man, I can't live life without that. i got to have that. See how it works. How about this? Ask yourself this question. Uh, God, test me and know my anxious thoughts. What, what is the things I'm worried about that just keep me up at night, not in the stomach, can't consume my thoughts? For some of you, it's your children, whether young or, or older. And it's just like, you just worry, worry, worry. For some of you, they're, they're younger, and you, you find yourself being this overprotective, over helicopter parent. Like, everything's got it, and you can't. You, you just kind of, like, you're worried all the time. Uh, for others of you, maybe it's not your children that are younger. Maybe it's they're older, and, and they've... They've done, made decisions that you wouldn't agree with. Like, maybe they've turned their back on guys. Like, I just, it's not in my stomach. Here's the deal. For some of you, it's your finances. It's like you just worry constantly. You're always balancing the checkbook, always doing the budget, always. You see, here's the thing. When I let him examine, tear apart, what I'm really, really worried about is that God can't provide, that God can't take care of my kids, or maybe that God won't. I heard a pastor say it this way, the place where we worry the most might be where we're displaying trust and faith the least. Or how about this question, what is it that creates the most insecurity in you? I, I know for me there was a point in time as a young leader when the thing that created an insecurity is I, I became insecure about disappointing people. Nobody wants to disappoint people. And it created an insecurity. Like, am I disappointing them? And, and you don't have to lead very long to know that you're going to disappoint people along the way. But when I begin to allow God to tear that apart, it's like, I wonder what it is that I love more, the approval of men or the approval of God. You see how that works. See, what he's saying is, God, show me what I'm really afraid of, what I'm really trusting, what I'm really worshiping, what... What, what really matters most to me, because my fears will point me to that. That's interesting because he goes on, he says, see if there's an offensive way in me. I just worded it this way. God, point out to me where I am wrong. Or you could write it this way, point out what is wrong in me. Can we just say something out loud? Can we just, this is confession time. It's way easier for you and me to see what's wrong in others than it is for us to see what's wrong in us. Can I get an amen on that? You ever drive on the highway? I'm Listen, I know you guys don't ever do this. Sometimes I'm driving and my wife, and you know, people will pull in and out, you know, they'll pass me and they won't use their turn signals. And I'll be like, hey man, turn signals must have been optional in the state they learned to drive. I'll say kind of snarky things like that. And then I'll find myself zipping around somebody and zipping back in and 
Never dawns on me to use my what? Turn signal. Here's the deal. What I accuse in others, I excuse in me. I think the prayer is saying this. God, show me what I excuse in me, but tend to accuse in others. Show me what's so easy to point out in others, but what is so blind for me to see in me. God, show me what it is that I excuse. But I think there's something deeper. I think this prayer is a dangerous prayer because it's saying, God, I'm inviting you to define what is wrong in me. Or as the Bible would say it, I'm inviting you to tell me what is sin, what is offensive. You see, it's not God show me what is and is not culturally acceptable. It's not God show me what's offensive in your eyes. Show me the things that are offensive to you that I tend to rationalize, compromise, explain away. You see, it's easy to rationalize things. Well, I'm not as bad as other people. Or, or everyone else is doing it. Or how about this? Times have changed. You see, that's not the question. It's a dangerous prayer. It's saying, God, would you show me what's wrong? I have people come into my office and say, I, I, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but. And I think this prayer is saying, God, show me. Be honest with me. What is wrong? I probably know what is wrong because it's the thing I become defensive about. What is the thing that you become defensive about? What are the things that other people keep pointing out? And, and it's like, man, I've had 20 people point this out. There must be something going on here. What is the thing that you, you, you feel this conviction about because you, you, you figure out any way you can to justify it? You see, I think it's saying, God, point out to me where I'm wrong. Show me where I'm wrong. You see, it's a dangerous invitation. Show me why I do what I do. Get, can you get underneath of the actions to the attitudes, the ambitions, the motivations? And then, God, there's things that consume me, anxiety, insecurity, and fear, but they're rooted in something that's a deeper fear that, that, that might show me what I'm really worshiping, what I'm really trusting what I really love in place of you. And, and God, would you point out to me where I'm, where I'm wrong? Like, like, I'm not asking what my friends think is wrong. I'm not asking what culture thinks is wrong. I'm not asking what is accept. I'm asking God, what, what, what do you think? It's a dangerous invitation. What's interesting to me is this invitation in Psalm 139 is powerful. It's couched in a recognition I, just, I need to race through this, but it's what the rest of the chapter is about. But there's something interesting here, and, and we can't skirt it. Can I race through this quickly? Go back in your Bibles to verse 1, because he starts, interesting, the prayer is, God, search me, but he starts, verse 1, say, you have searched me, Lord. You know me. You know when I sit down, when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word's on my tongue, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. What's he saying? God, right, knows, this prayer is couched in this recognition that God knows everything about me. 
The God I'm asking to search my heart and examine my thoughts knows everything about me. I cannot fake that God out. He knows everything about me, not just that. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for the darkness is as light to you. What's he saying here? He's saying God doesn't just know everything about me, but God is everywhere I am. There is nowhere that I can go to hide from his presence. And then he says this, For you are the one who created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You knew me before I ever was held in my mother's arms. When I was conceived and in her womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained before me are written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. I think what he's saying is God made me. God knows me better than I know myself. And God's the only one who thinks of me more than I do. You see, this prayer that David prayed is couched in a humble recognition. I'm going to quit hiding from the God that's impossible to hide from. I'm going to quit running from the God who's impossible to run away from. I'm going to quit faking out the God who's impossible to fake out. I'm going to quit hiding from the God that's impossible to hide from. I love. I have two grandkids. Uh, actually, uh, uh, these two grandkids I love playing with, and one of the games they like to play at my house is hide-and-seek. Raise your hand if you like hide-and-seek. I love hide-and-seek. Good game. They like to go hide. And so Pappy counts, right? One, two, three, ready or not. And then I go, fee, fi, fo, fum, you know, and I come out and I'm like, where are you? You know, and, and they're hiding and I can see, you know, they're, they're not great. They're not great at hiding. I'm just going to be honest. Like I can see them. They're peeking out. They're laughing. And I walk in the room, where are you? And my granddaughter's like, over here, Pappy. I'm like, oh, she doesn't get the game, right? Yeah. What's interesting to me is, do you know hide-and-seek is the oldest game known to man? Did you know that? It has its very roots at the very beginning of human history. Do you know the story? Adam and Eve, do you remember that? Remember them? They existed with God in this perfect setting, in this perfect communion with him. And the Bible says this, the man and his wife are both naked. That's not just like, they're just total transparency unencumbered relationship. They felt no shame. They'd walk with God in the cool of the day. They were naked, unencumbered, transparent relationship with God and each other. But you know how the story goes. The woman saw the fruit she wasn't to eat of, and it was good for food, pleasing the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some, ate it. She gave some to her husband. That's sin. She decided, I'm going to, on my own, try to satisfy the appetites. I'm going to violate what it is that God said he wanted me to do, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. 
So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You see, sin entered the scene, and we began covering up in front of each other, but that's not all. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They had walked with God. They had had unencumbered relationship with God, but now what are they doing? And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to them, where are you? Kind of like I did with my grandkids. He's not asking for information. He knew exactly where they're at. He's asking for recognition. He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. He's hiding from the God. It's impossible to hide from. From this point on in human history, it has become our nature to hide from God and to cover up in front of each other. Did you know that? We've mastered the art of pretending nothing's wrong. We've become experts in covering up our true condition. We've exhausted our efforts to look good to God in front of each other. We figured out how to cover up who we really are with all kinds of different costumes, sophisticated fig leaves, if you were. We live trying to hide from God and we live in front of each other with these sophisticated fig leaves and it's how we relate to each other. Our costumes our modern-day sophisticated fig leaves are how we relate with each other. Titles become the way we describe ourselves. Oh, I'm a doctor. Oh, I'm a lawyer. Or I'm a, you fill in the blank. Or maybe it's our spiritual church titles. I'm a Sunday school teacher. I'm a charter member. Uh, we begin to talk to each other through spiritual costumes that we wear, using spiritual lingo to cover up the reality that exists in our hearts. And we hide behind humor and sarcasm, never a straight answer, many times to hide the deep insecurity that we feel, afraid of being known. We bury ourselves in our work in order to cover up the insecurities, the struggles, the anxieties. When people try to get to know us, we wear the costume of our past accomplishments, which oftentimes come off better than they really were our degrees, our money, our successes all become costumes we wear and many of us can't describe ourselves without leaning into our modern day fig leaves and describing ourselves through the lens of our costumes. And many of us live our lives spiritually covered up. No one ever sees the real me. No one ever sees the fears, the struggle, the questions, the fight, the insecurity, the weaknesses, and the flaws because we've learned how to relate to each other through our costumes covered up and so we never experience relational spiritual intimacy with each other we go through life with lots of costumes and not a lot of intimacy and not many relationships that really matter but the most tragic thing the most tragic thing we do is we try to hide from a god who sees everything knows everything is everywhere and he knows me better than i know me When I think of Psalm 139, you could write this in your Bibles. I think of the book of Hebrews chapter 4. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cuts between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. God sees me exactly how I am. There is no faking him out. There is no running away. There is no covering up. And he uses this book we call the Bible 
to help me see what he sees. There's nothing that escapes God's notice. You ever remember the childhood fable, the emperor with no clothes? We're like the emperor with no clothes in front of God. We think we wear these elaborate costumes covering up and pressing God, and yet we're the emperor with no clothes. Our culture makes costumes of deception that makes us think we have ourselves covered up even in the presence of God. And yet, it is all a deception because the Bible is clear that we are naked before God, spiritually naked. And so the prayer is an invitation for that God to show me what he already sees. Do you see that? It is a humble and volitional recognition to live my life in the presence of the God who sees everything, is always with me, knows more about me than I know about myself, and I'm asking him, explain me to me. I'm asking him, reveal me to me. Expose things to me that I'm blind to, unaware of. Things that you already see, God. Here's the kicker. I'm asking him to do this, not so he can embarrass me. Not so that I'll slink out of church every week. Not so that I can feel condemned. Not so God can hurt me. But do you see what comes after this? Nothing's hidden from him, therefore... Since we have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that what? We might feel bad about ourselves, so that we might be hurt and embarrassed. No, we might say it with me. Say it with me. Receive mercy, find grace to help us in our time of need so that he might help us, which takes us back to the original prayer we began looking at. Search me, test me, see if there's offensive way in me, and now lead me in the way everlasting. Do you see that? In the way everlasting, this is a life-giving decision. I'm choosing to follow the God who is pursuing me. I'm choosing to follow the God. This prayer is a prayer that says, the God who came chasing us in our lostness, I will follow you. I'm asking you to lead me. The way everlasting is a way that intersects with an old wooden cross. You ever heard that story? And on that old wooden cross, there is a man, his name is Jesus, God in the flesh. And that old story tells us of a God who knows us completely. He sees you and I exactly as we are today, and he came pursuing us in order to save us by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The God who sees you exactly as you are. I don't know who you, I don't know who's watching this, but he sees you exactly as you are. You're the emperor with no clothes. Don't try to hide from him. He sees you, and he loves you. He loves you and he's pursuing you because he loves you too much to leave you where you are. At the cross, Jesus died for all the sin you're hiding, rationalizing, excusing, and covering up. Did you know that? That's what makes him our great high priest. He's the one they dressed up in a mock costume, mocking him. And he dressed up in that mock 
costume so you and I wouldn't have to spend our lives wearing a costume, trying to fake everybody else out, including God. He's the one who hung naked on that cross for our sin, for all the things that we're covering up in our life. He hung, God in the flesh hung in the darkness for all the things that you and I have done in the dark. God in the flesh was publicly disgraced for all the secret sins you and I are hiding. So what does that mean? What does it mean to choose to follow the God who's pursuing me? Let me give you a couple words, no slides. It means I'm going to confess my sin. That's what it means. I'm going to agree with whatever God shows me. Whatever he shows me about why I do what I do, whatever he shows me about my fears, whatever he shows me is offensive, I'm going to agree. And I'm going to confess it. and I'm going to call it what he calls it. No excuses, no rationalizing, no compromising, no comparing, no defending. One author said this, that confession is a terrifying gift. It's the decision to refuse to hide anymore from the God who's seeking me. It's what made David a man after God's own heart. It wasn't that he was all polished and good. In fact, the Bible was very clear about his flaws and his failures. And yet the Psalms are full of repentance and confession. You see, it's what made David a man after God's own heart. He decided to agree with the God who sees everything, knows everything, and it's a decision to live humbly in the recognition that I am living my life out in the presence of that God. It begins with confession, agreeing, not arguing with God. I don't know. It's like, I, I'm going to agree with you on this. And then it leads to surrender, to following Jesus. He says, you lead me. He says, did you, did you see that? He says, and lead me in the way everlasting. It's a decision to follow Jesus. He doesn't ask for a map. He's not asking God for a GPS. I'm gonna totally make some of you upset. The Bible is not basic instructions before leaving earth. The Bible is the story of God that has a central character that it all points to and his name is Jesus. And the way everlasting is found in Jesus. He's the one who came to rescue us. And when I say yes to the rescue that he provides found at the cross, this incredible gift of grace that comes through Christ, he then says, I'm the one who can lead you into the way of everlasting, abundant life. Basically, he says, follow my taillights. Attach your life to me. It makes me think of my son Aaron, who lives in Louisiana, Probably as uh, I'm, some of you are going to be watching this, he'll be heading back to Louisiana to his job. And Aaron, if you're listening to this, I hope you have a safe trip. Our first trip down there, I was driving a moving van. Jennifer was driving our car, and then Aaron was following. We got into a city, I think it might have been Memphis, I'm not positive, but the GPSs began to get all confuzzled, and uh, there was road construction and all kinds of things, and we the traffic was crazy. And so Jennifer and I uh, got away from him and his GPS had him turn a certain direction and all of a sudden he was lost. He was lost in a city that we had never been to. And so he calls and he says, where are you guys at? And we were way far away from him. And you know what I said to Aaron? I'm like, and he's like, well, I don't know my GPS. I don't know if I can get back to you. I don't know, you know, the road construction and the detours. 
And, and I said, Aaron, stay where you're at. Just stay right where you're at. And I said, I'm coming back. My wife and I turned around and we drove back and there was, there was a ping and we drove back to where he's at. And I said, now here's the deal. We're just going to slowly go out of here. Just follow the taillights. Just attach to the car in front of you as we get to where it is that we need to be. You see, this prayer is a dangerous invitation. God, show me what you need to show me. It's a humble recognition. I'm going to live not like the emperor with no clothes. I'm going to live with the recognition. You see it anyways. Just show me. And then I'm going to call it what you call it. I'm going to call it what you call it. Because you're the only one who can lead me to where it is I need to go. And I'm going to attach my life to your taillights. Will you pray it with me? Will you pray it with me? Let's just pray this prayer together. Do you have your Bibles open there still? Will you bow your heads and maybe don't close your eyes. Look at your Bible. God, search me and know my heart. Will you test me and know my anxious thoughts? God, see if there's an offensive way in me. And God, lead me in the way everlasting. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.